Welcome everyone. This is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource. Joining me is Ben Sexton. He's the CEO of Monogram Orthopedics. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. Great to be with you. So, Ben, for those that aren't familiar with Monogram, can you just give us a quick overview of the company? Sure. Monogram is a medical technology company in the orthopedic market, and uh, we are commercializing a next-gen surgical robot. And our vision for orthopedics is to combine personalized uh, patient-optimized implants with uh, the next generation of surgical robotics. So when you say personalized implants, are you making and providing implants or just the robotic system that implants them? Sure. Uh, so we, we're uh, making both, uh, the implants uh, and, the, uh, and the robot. And I just want to uh, hedge making by saying, you know, we, we don't uh, manufacture everything in-house. We, we do rely on certain, some vendors that have uh, this manufacturing expertise, but uh, the, the IP related to what's being made is, is all ours. Okay. And then I, I thought I read something about 3D printing. Um, is, is that something you're utilizing and, and outsourcing as well? Yeah, so we probably would be uh, working initially with uh, other um, implant manufacturing companies that have expertise specifically with the fabrication of, of implants, but the kind of the, the what's being made, let's put it like this, uh, the shape that's being made, that's a monogram, those are monogram ideas. You know, getting it made is more of a commodity that we uh, leverage other people who have already built factories to help us do. So your technology ties all this together and implements it. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So uh, the vision of the company has always been to uh, really take kind of a outdated way of thinking about implants, which is sort of one size fits none generic implants. And we believe that robotics combined with 3D printing will enable um, a much uh, more uh, kind of cost-efficient business model. And that's that was uh, the vision of the company. And we're getting there uh, through kind of a, a tiered development approach. So uh, we're starting with uh, a novel robot uh, that will be kind of similar to the state-of-the-art in that it, it will put in generic implants. And then our plan is to upgrade certain components of those generic implants to 3D-printed patient-optimized components, and then uh, ultimately we think that the end of that will be uh, fully patient-optimized uh, implants that are uh, hopefully uh, at least the, the most important parts of which would be 3D printed or customized to the patient. Is this all know-how, or do you have some, some IP? Uh, we have a lot of IP. When you think about it, with 3D printing, you can, you can basically print any shape you can imagine. What's valuable is really figuring out well, what shapes actually make a difference clinically? And so we have a lot of IP around what we think an optimal implant for a hip or a knee and uh, looks like. Uh, and then when you just kind of think about the execution of that uh, on the robotic side, we are the first company in the world to commercialize what's called an active robotic system with seven joints and sagittal cutting. We're the first robot company to integrate augmented reality into our workflows. Uh, we're the first robot company to uh, do a fully remote surgery uh, where the surgeon was in New York City, the robot was in Austin. Uh, there's, a, there's really a ton of innovation on both the robot side and then on the implant side as well. 
uh, we're, we really are a kind of a technology company and it what I would say is a slower moving market, uh, the orthopedic market. And our vision is really to help uh, use technology to drive the interests of, the, of patients and move the standard of care forward as much as we can. Uh, so we are bringing kind of a Silicon Valley style energy to this market. Uh, so yeah, we have more than 20 patents today filed and um, or patent applications. Uh, we do have uh, one issued patent with several other very close to being issued and we're working on all sorts of uh, technologies, machine vision, augmented reality, uh, machine learning, all of that stuff and applying it to orthopedics and frankly have more ideas than we have time to write patents for at this point. So we're, we're really uh, moving very quickly in terms of what we're innovating. And you're addressing orthopedics. Is it a specific area of orthopedics or uh, are there other applications for this? Is it, is it one product or one application or is it more of a platform? That's a, yeah, that's a great question. So, um, the orthopedic market generally is about $50 billion. And uh, our primary addressable market, we're starting with knees, which is about a $10 billion opportunity, uh, uh, joint reconstruction. And then if you look at uh, kind of joint reconstruction, generally you have knees, uh, hips, uh, and then you have uh, extremities, uh, shoulders, and uh, spine. And robots are really have a use case in all of those areas. Those all those are clinical opportunities for for robotics, and there is not a single use case robot today. So there there are robot companies that have been kind of trying to do that, but there aren't any robots that have really done that very well. So you know you look at let's say the Mako system that's been uh, traditionally a knee robot. Uh, it, it does have uh, a hip application. Uh, but the utilization of that is is far less than the, the knee utilization. Uh, and um, so there are companies that are trying to kind of leverage their the robots for other applications, but nobody's really done that successfully and brought all of the applications together into kind of a state-of-the-art system that's efficient for all of them. And that's really our vision. And then we do see applications outside of orthopedics that we've been exploring uh, in the R&D phase uh, really, there's a lot of use cases for a robot that can efficiently, in our case, remove bone, but it, but let's call it like that can do things very accurately, uh, execute, let's call it navigated procedures. We have novel navigation methods. So there's a lot that uh, we think could even apply outside of orthopedics, but our primary addressable market is is knee replacements, where that's where we're starting. And what's a competitive landscape like? I, I know there's some large robotic companies, but uh, you know maybe they're in different areas. So, so how does it look for you? The orthopedic market is highly consolidated. About three fourths of the market is owned by four companies. The uh, the dominant player in our space is Stryker, which uh, owns a robot called Mako, and they have uh, somewhere in the ballpark of 90% market share in orthopedic robotics and they were uh, a, a first mover with a, a very compelling product, and uh, they've they've done an excellent job, really kind of owning the market. We uh, we've had the I call the, the opportunity to be kind of a second mover to the market, where we can look at all of the uh, let's call it the opportunities for improvement uh, from that system, and 
we, we think we've done a really good job kind of looking at where there's opportunities for improvement and, and, and taking advantage of those. Uh, so our system uh, is going to address a lot of the pain points in robotics. And then ultimately what we're going to be addressing is the pain point of, of uh, the implant side as well. So that's our vision. But when you look at the, at the, at the space, a lot of companies have uh, what we call advanced technologies. So, you know, uh, some type of robot or navigation or, you know, everybody's kind of trying to get into the space in some way or another, but nobody's come close to, uh, been close to successful as Stryker. And that's, that's because they have some really some distinct features of their robotic system that nobody else has been able to replicate. And we think we have uh, done a good job developing our system to, based on what, what we've seen work for, for them. So by not being first to market, does that give you somewhat of an advantage in terms of not having to, to educate the market? Or is there a big learning curve on this still? Exactly. That's a great point. So right now, when you look at the utilization of robotics and orthopedics, it's, it's less than 20% today. So when you look at only, you know, less than on the order of one to five uh, surgeries is robotic. So there's really, it's very early in the adoption phase. And um, it's, it's pretty interesting. The, the clinical data is really starting to support robotics. And what's happening with robotics is that surgeons are starting to think about the procedure differently. So MAKO has really, uh, it's not just about making accurate bone cuts. It's, it's actually about restoring soft tissue balance as well. And MAKO has really done a good job of converting surgeons to a new way of thinking about this. And, uh, and so we think that the, the trend for orthopedic robotics is, is kind of a, a line that goes up and to the right. And, and so uh, it's helpful that we're not trying to convince surgeons why robots are here to stay. Uh, but it's, uh, it is still early and there are a lot of surgeons that are not really in the weeds on, on the value proposition of robotics. You know, I would say if you were to go back in time and look at what the naysayers were saying about MAKO, let's say back in, you know, uh, 10 years ago uh, when they were launching, a lot of the criticisms of MAKO still hold true. Uh, the, the MAKO system and, and all robotic systems for that matter, generally speaking, add surgical time uh, and they require extra surgical steps and they uh, incur incremental cost. And yet here we are today with, with MAKO year by year gaining market share and converting the market to robotics. So. So robotics solve a clinical problem. The problem they don't solve is a business problem. Our vision is to solve both. So uh, we think that the next generation of surgical robotics should make the surgery faster and cheaper, but also uh, address the clinical needs of the users as well. So uh, that, that's, uh, that's our vision. We, you know, when you, when you think about a robot, a robot should take a complex task and make it easier and generally speaking, faster. And robots haven't been successful at the, at, at the faster or cheaper. Uh, they have made things easier, but uh, they, they, they're not quite easy enough. Uh, there's still too much reliance on surgeon skill, and we, uh, we've designed our system to really address those pain points. So what stage are you at, and what's the regulatory pathway, and where are you in that process? 
Sure, yeah. So the regulatory pathway is a is what's called a 510K pathway. So this is a, a pathway that's designed to help technologies bring products to market uh, as quickly and efficiently as possible. So uh, how it works is uh, the FDA uh, evaluates your equivalence to um, other, other products in the market and makes a determination of uh, whether or not the, you know, the intended use and uh, the technology features of your system are equivalent to other systems that have already been approved. And once that's done, um, the FDA then evaluates kind of how much testing is required to, uh, uh, to prove the safety of your system, for example. Uh, so we, uh, we have engaged with the agency. Uh, they have accepted our predicate and uh, right now we're in what's called the verification phase. And then the next step is the validation phase. From there, uh, depending at input from the FDA, we may do uh, clinical data. It would not be, don't think kind of biotech clinical trial, you know, think something more on the order of 100 patients to kind of prove to the FDA that even, even in live patients, the system is safe uh, and effective and, or, or maybe even just safe. And, uh, and then it would be a launch. What we're currently exploring is uh, whether or not there's opportunities to get that clinical data uh, in uh, other domiciles that have a lower uh, regulatory threshold for, uh, for doing this. So we may run the clinical trial uh, outside of the United States uh, and uh, that could potentially save cost and time. We're having discussions with the FDA about, uh, about that. I know it's hard to predict because you're dealing with an agency. Um, is it foreseeable that we could see uh, approval in 2024? A lot would depend on, on the FDA's uh, willingness to accept data that's uh, obtained outside of the U.S. and our ability to uh, get that data very quickly. Uh, you, you know, the advantage of of doing a trial outside of the U.S., uh, there's a couple of potential benefits, um, uh, but it's it's... It's the time it would take to recruit patients. There would be probably pretty pretty significant uh, inventory savings as well. I don't want to I don't want to stake my flag in it, but uh, you know, there's a world where things could move very quickly if if uh, everything falls into place. Are you going this alone, or do you have any partners? Uh, we we would have partners outside of the U.S. Oh, okay, outside. So so what is the go-to-market strategy for the U.S.? So for the United States, the go-to-market strategy couple of ways that it could happen. You know, there are large partners that have uh, expressed interest in what we're doing. They, uh, in order for people to legally market our device, we have to be FDA approved. So that's a very important benchmark for our go-to-market strategy and whether or not we uh, move forward as a standalone company uh, and distribute products ourselves or whether or not we leverage another company's distribution networks. Uh, but generally speaking, the uh, the focus would be on key markets where we have been working to establish relationships with, uh, we believe, key surgeons. You know, it'd be one step at a time. Uh, once we have FDA approval, we've already been engaging with surgeons who are users of the product that we believe would be interested in helping us place the product at their centers. And how much should the product cost, do you anticipate? Sure. So we're, we're planning to be priced competitively with the current state-of-the-art systems, and our focus really is on technical differentiation and adding value through product features that 
enhance the user experience or um, kind of mitigate risk, save time, save cost. That's really our focus is differentiating on, on the features of the product itself. Is this a capital expenditure for the hospitals that's outside the norm or something that that's typical for them? This is probably the biggest barrier to entry is like an unbudgeted capital expense. Uh, typically speaking at a hospital, this is uh, a different buying group. Uh, so we may need to be uh, creative in terms of offering financing options or uh, discounting to uh, get some of those early placements. But what we tell investors is that this is a razor, razor blade model. So the real money is in the implants and the payback on placed robotic systems that are well utilized is, is fairly uh, fast. The money really is in kind of the, the consumables, the implants, all of the consumables, uh, the blades, the fiducial arrays, all that stuff. So, so what will the revenue model look like? Do you expect to make money off the the razor and the blades or, or just the, the blades? Yes. Uh, we expect to make... Uh, our focus really are more on the let's call on the razor is to make uh, a reasonable margin and to uh, mitigate kind of working capital drag but the real money is in the consumable uh, the implant uh, implants generally have pretty high margins and we have a, a uh, very attractive supply agreement in place uh, to procure implants at a, at, at what we feel are pretty attractive prices and our implants competitive with the current state of the art. So, you know, our focus is making money on well-utilized robots, but obviously kind of getting getting our investors what they deserve in terms of a robot that's cost us quite a bit of money to develop, right? By the time it's all said and done, you know, you're looking at almost $100 million of development cost and a ton of technology in the system. And so we, we certainly want to get paid for that, but uh, it's not the main moneymaker for robotics companies that have an implant. So as we watch your progress over the next year, what are, what's the timeline of some of the events we might see? I think that the, you know, the next big thing would be uh, to be looking for, you know, the initiation of a clinical trial, more clarity around the time and uh, cost to get to market. I would say that's the kind of the biggest uh, unknown with, with our story right now is, you know, what is, the, what is the cost and time to get to market? And we haven't been able to give a definitive answer to that yet because we've been in ongoing discussions with the FDA. Regulatory clarity is really, I think, the, the next big catalyst for folks to be looking for. We also uh, are going to be uh, making some, uh, doing some demonstrations of uh, our product and our product pipeline. And we are uh, cautiously optimistic that those will really show off the capabilities of the system and where we're trying to take this and really uh, help folks who maybe are a little bit unclear on what the value proposition of robotics is, um, help, help, help it make sense and help it make sense for, for folks what the potential economic opportunities are for, from a cost-saving standpoint for robotics. So that's another thing to stay tuned for. Th those are really kind of the main the main highlights. Uh, we think that those are uh, going to be hopefully favorably received. What do you wish I would have asked that I hadn't asked you? I think we've touched on a lot of the key points. What is the value proposition of Monogram maybe versus the current state of the art? One of the things that's hard is that 
my background is engineering, and so for me, get, getting into the technical weeds is, is very a natural place for me to be. Uh, sometimes for investors, it can be hard to take them down the learning curve of what's actually different. You know, the number one objection we get uh, from folks is that, like, Monogram is late to the party. I would just say I, I just don't think that that's true when you get into kind of the current state of the art and uh, where we're trying to take things. Hopefully, I would say hopefully investors are primed for and anticipating maybe what, imagining what's possible for robotics. I think a lot of companies, people don't realize that everything on the market today is basically kind of first-gen technology, and it's only the start of robotics, right? One out of five surgeries are robotics. So to really drive full-blown adoption, I think it's going to take some something special, and I think that's where the opportunity is, is for a company that can develop something special, take it to the next level. Uh, so that's really what we're trying to do. So in the near term, what are you most excited about and what do you want to uh, leave as a takeaway for investors? Sure. So in the near term, I think, you know, really kind of what I'm excited to have is regulatory clarity where we could sort of make a clear definitive statement on the timeline to market and the cost to market. And that's been a bit of a moving target. And obviously, as a management team, uh, we're trying to make that happen as fast as possible and as cheap as possible. And so res- a resolution around that is, I think, uh, pretty uh, pretty important for, for investors. And then I think the next thing to just be stay tuned for is really trying to help investors drill into the technology and help them to understand what the value proposition is of an active system that does what our system can do and why why navigation and innovation on the navigation side is so important as well. And so hopefully as we uh, continue to educate the market on our product, which we anticipate we'll be doing, um, I think uh, I think that's going to be very exciting. Well, Ben, thanks so much for sharing the monogram story. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity.